Welcome back to The Food Code. Happy Labor Day. Today, we are kicking off a series on stomach acid and digestion. We are also kicking off our September review contest. And so similar to how we did a few months ago, if you leave us a five-star reading and review, a genuine reading and review, we are going to enter you to win a mystery box full of goodies. We're putting together our fall box with some of our favorite sponsors and affiliates that we partner with. And so if you can do that, leave us the five-star reading and review. We will enter you to win, please send us a screenshot uh, to info at fitmomlife.com so that we can capture your entry into the contest and we'll be drawing the winner at the end of the month. And let's dive into today's episode. I'm very excited for this series as we talk about gut health, digestion, and the importance of stomach acid. You hear all the bull about diet and exercise. Carbs are evil. Do more cardio. Never eat bread or cookies again. Just do a juice cleanse. We get it. We fell for all of the BS too. It's time to go right to the source with the truth about how to live a healthy, sustainable lifestyle. I am Liz. And I'm Becca. We are your nutrition educators and this is The Food Code. Happy Labor Day. Yes. Someone actually, I'm so like out of it sometimes. I was talking to a uh, client and I was like, and then we can, are you open Monday? She's like, well, Monday's Labor Day. And I was like, oh yeah, F that. I'm not working on Monday. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to be driving back. We have a five hour drive to my Where brother's. You? You're going, oh, you're going to your brother's. Yeah. We're going to um, Ohio. My brother moved That's there right. a few years ago. We haven't been. And so my other brother and his family are coming. My sister-in-law's brother and his family are coming and then we're doing like an amusement park with the kids on Sunday. So it should be a lot of fun. I think it's also going to be very hectic and chaotic because we have a two-year-old, a three-year-old, and then four kids that are older, similar in age though. So they get along really good and mm-hmm. it'll just be, it'll be fun. I love my brothers. Um, yeah. It'll yeah. be a lot of fun. We're not doing, we're doing a big birthday party. I actually, so we have what three, four, five, six. We have seven grandkids on our my mom, like my parents' side, including my two. Um, and so we'll do like joint birthday parties. Mm-hmm. And ours got pushed back because Carson had COVID a couple weeks ago, and we were supposed to do it that Sunday. And anyways, so we're doing a big one this upcoming Sunday the day before Labor Day. And I had to call my mom this morning because I was like, um, who who all are we celebrating? Because I don't want to miss anyone. I don't want to forget any presents. Like, there's a lot of us. And so we are celebrating four children and three adults this, oh my gosh. this Sunday. So myself included, Nick has his birthday the 23rd. John, yeah. my sister's husband, his is the 13th. And then their daughter, Olivia, Charlie, my sister-in-law's son, Carson, and Taylor crazy all going to be on sunday yeah part of me thought about should we bring gifts for my niece and nephews because like we don't see them for christmas and Mm -hmm. um whatnot because we're all so spread apart and then i was like it's gonna be way too much like eight gifts or something insane so i'm excited i uh was looking at i was telling becca so i was looking up the amusement park and i know that we have a lot of clients that have gone to various amusement parks and they're just like you know the food options aren't really you know, great. Uh, but this particular one, they had a lot of gluten-free options. They actually had some really decent looking entrees. I'm not sure that they're going to be, you know, great, but I think actually we're not going to stay like the entire day. We're going to get there when it opens and then um, head back because my sister-in-law's brother, I think he's like a chef and he's going home early with a two-year-old to mm-hmm. make dinner for everybody. 
for Sunday night. So I was like, oh, that's perfect. So we don't really have to eat it much at the park. But Mm -hmm. I'm excited. I was showing Marcus pictures and, you know, he's so excited to go on the big rides, but they have a splash pad and stuff. But, um, you know, I was searching because he's only like 42 inches tall. So you have to search on their website by what can they go on? Because the last thing I want to do is take him where, you know, his cousins can go because they're older and have a meltdown. So mm-hmm. should be fun. But yep. anyway, so happy Labor Day. Hopefully you guys are all having fun, spending time with your family, enjoying the day off. If you're off work today, um, today we are going to start a series on stomach acid. Uh, we're going to talk about digestion. We're going to talk about heartburn. We're going to talk about GERD why stomach acid is important. Um, you know, in the upcoming series, we will talk a little bit about, you know, symptoms and side effects of having low stomach acid and what that can, you know, indicate and why we need to support maintaining good levels of stomach acid. And then we will give you some ways to naturally support. And so just a disclaimer, I've had to, you know, share this with some people on Instagram, as well as in just one of my recent videos. We have a lot of people who ask us for advice, uh, various topics. What would you recommend for X, Y, or Z? If I have heartburn or acid reflux, what do you recommend? And so we're going to give you guys some very generic things that, you know, are broad scope that are very safe uh, for you. But at the end of the day, we will never recommend any type of supplementation because this is only something that we do in terms of our protocols when we know the ins and outs of the person, their symptoms, their lab work, maybe testing if that's something that we've done. Um, Ethically and legally, we cannot do that as practitioners. And so we've talked before on this podcast, you know, about fish oil or beef liver supplements or magnesium, protein powders, things of those sorts. And obviously those are kind of general things, but when it comes to gut healing, uh, I did a gut training a few, I guess a few months back at this point uh, in our Fit Mom group. And that is one thing that I shared is protocols have similarities, but they are also very different because the gut is so nuanced. And so I just want to give that disclaimer here. Please understand we're not trying to withhold information from you uh, to get more clients. It is literally ethically and legally. We don't know you, your health history, the ins and outs of what's going on. And so we will give you some generic tips and things that you can do to support. And everybody should be doing these things, Mm -hmm. but uh, no specific supplements. So just a heads up. Yeah. We help our clients with self-care and self-treatment. We are we are not doctors. We are not I'm not going to prescribe something to someone. I'm going to give someone the information, help them understand potentially test results, their symptoms, what they seem to be showing, and then recommend I'm not prescribing ever supplements. I'm not prescribing protocols ever. It is this is a recommendation. We help you go through that treatment process that you are self-treating. That is the purpose of how we work with people. Um it's Again, this all comes down to legalities and, you know, all of that. We are protecting ourselves. We're protecting the patients and the clients. I shouldn't even say patients, clients, um, so that it is a process that they are in control of because that is what it should be. Um, So let's dive in to how the stomach works because I think that a lot of people don't maybe fully understand the digestive system as a whole and in particular the stomach. Cause I think a lot of people, when they think of digestion, they think of the stomach and that's it. Um, and there is a lot more to it. Uh, and so we want to kind of help people understand exactly how important this process is, why it is kind of nuanced, the digestive cascade and chaos that can happen. Um, so let's start with the stomach though, because that's where obviously we're talking about stomach acid. It's going to be the most pertinent <laughs> thing to understand. Um, so the stomach is a muscular hollow organ 
and it takes food in from the esophagus, which obviously gets from your mouth, and it's kind of like a food pipe, and then your stomach mixes that food. It mixes it with, hopefully, enough stomach acid, breaks it down, and then it passes it to the small intestines in small portions, and the entire digestive system is made up of one muscular tube extending from the mouth to the anus. And the stomach is an enlarged pouch-like section of this digestive tube. I kind of think of it like a tunnel. You should, like, if you're driving through a tunnel, things should not get in or out of that tunnel. That is what you want to think of when it comes to the digestive tube, per se. Your stomach is located on the left side of the upper abdomen, and it's shaped kind of like an oversized comma, and it's bulge pointing out to the left. The stomach shape and size obviously vary from person to person, depending on things like sex, build, but also how much they eat. Because yes, you can slightly increase the size of your stomach and shrink the size of your stomach. Mm -hmm. Um, So at the point where the esophagus leads into the stomach, the digestive tube is usually kept shut by muscles of the esophagus and the diaphragm. Some people have a disorder um, and dysfunction, I should even say, of that muscle that kind of keeps that open and close happening, um, which is another story for another day. But when you swallow, these muscles relax and the lower end of the esophagus opens, allowing food to enter the stomach. If this mechanism does not work properly, acidic gastric juice might get into the esophagus, leading to heartburn or inflammation. And the main thing that we're going to hopefully help people understand today is that if you are having heartburn and inflammation, it is not always slash nearly ever because of too much stomach acid. It doesn't mean that you don't have stomach acid and that's not getting up and causing the heartburn, but that is not necessarily and usually not what is causing the heartburn. Yeah, and we'll talk about that um, in episode two here, but it's typically the lower esophageal sphincter, it's called your less, uh, that is not operating properly. And that's why people feel the sensation of heartburn or acid reflux because it's opening and closing when it shouldn't. Uh, It should only be opening when you swallow food. Um, And just a fun fact, I was reading last week that it takes about four to six seconds for food once you swallow it to travel down your esophagus and then enter into the stomach through that lower esophageal uh, sphincter. So very interesting, right? And so when I talk about slow down, chew your food well, four to six seconds, some people are swallowing their food, taking another bite, swallowing their food within that same time frame. And so again, it really matters how you eat if you want to reduce the stress that you place on the digestive system. Because you know, again, we're talking about the stomach here, but digestion starts in your brain. When you start thinking about food, you start salivating for that grilled chicken salad that you brought with those sweet potato fries that you love. That signaling from your brain starts to send saliva signals and digestive enzymes. You start salivating in the mouth. You're preparing then for mechanical digestion. When you start to chew your food, your teeth are your mechanics. Uh, And then you are relying on the chemical digestion in the stomach to help you further break that food down into what we know as chime, as Becca was mentioning, you know, and then it can move through the small intestine, the large intestine, and eventually, you know, end up with waste 
out of it. Um, but I want to go back to kind of one of the things that you were talking about, you know, in terms of where your stomach is. A lot of people say my stomach hurts and you're pointing like belly button or below, but your stomach is, again, it's the upper left quadrant here under um, kind of like your rib cage. So up towards your, your diaphragm. And it's usually filled with air that enters the stomach, you know, when you swallow. And so the largest part of your stomach, the body of your stomach um, is basically where you are churning and breaking down food into smaller pieces. So the chemical reactions that we're talking about here is acidic gastric juices and digestive enzymes. Okay. And so as those exit the stomach, the body of the stomach narrows to form a canal basically. And this is where the partially digested food is passed into the small intestine in small portions. Okay. And so when we talk about stomach acid, um, I think it's important to understand here that you also have the lining of your stomach. So your stomach wall, it's made of several layers, um, mucous membranes, connective tissue, blood vessels, nerves, muscle fibers, and the muscle layer alone has three different sub layers. Again, this is why it's very nuanced, right? When we're doing testing for clients, we're looking at what is potentially happening even within some of these layers in terms of like the mucous membrane, histamine response, things like that? Is the tissue uh, not tight the way that it should be? And are we experiencing, you know, leaky gut? And so what's the inflammation look like there? Um, but basically as the muscles, uh, you know, of your stomach, they move the contents around, they're churning it vigorously, you know, they're breaking down these solid particles of food that you have swallowed and grinding them and crushing them uh, into chime, which is a very smooth like pulp. Think of it like a smoothie like consistency. Okay. But the inner mucosal membrane, uh, the lining of your stomach has large folds that are visible uh, to the naked eye. And these folds run toward the exit of the stomach, providing kind of pathways along which fluids can quickly flow through the stomach. Um, and so if you look at the mucosal membrane under a microscope, you'll see lots of tiny glands. Um, and there's three different types of glands. These glands make up digestive enzyme, hydrochloric acid, aka stomach acid or HCL, what we're going to be referencing in these podcasts, mucus, and then bicarbonate which is a solution that will neutralize stomach acid. And so mm -hmm. when we think about gastric juices, again, they're responsible for the chemical breakdown of your food. That's going to contain various digestive enzymes for protein, carbs, fats, all kinds of things, hydrochloric acid, and then other substances to help you absorb nutrients. So a fun fact here is we make about three to four liters of gastric juices per day if all things are functioning well. Um, and the hydrochloric acid in the gastric juice is responsible for breaking down food and the digestive enzymes split up proteins, fats, turn them into fatty acids or amino acids, things like that. And the acidic gastric juice, so your stomach acid is also responsible for killing off bacteria. So we're going to talk about all of these things, but it's really important that you understand stomach acid is vital to the digestive cascade. If we are turning it off or we're turning it down with PPIs, proton pump inhibitors, over-the-counter antacids or acid reducers, we basically put a block in the digestive ca uh, cascade at a very critical point. And so that's what we want to expand on today. And I'm excited for us to go through this. It's going to be good. I'm very excited. So a lot of times we think about like acidity and alkalinity. I don't know how it was like a while ago. I feel like there was a big push around like alkaline is healthier for oh God. I can't even. Um, anyways, how potent is stomach acid? Like how acidic is stomach acid? So the pH scale technically ranges from zero, which is the most acidic to 14, which is the most alkaline on a scale 
a pH of seven is considered neutral. Okay, makes sense. Obviously, most acidic, most alkaline, right in the middle is considered neutral. So stomach acid has a pH of 0.8, which makes it extremely potent. Obviously, that's basically close to zero. Um, And the breakdown of food, especially proteins, occurs best when that pH is between one to two. So there has been research that has shown that when gastric pH is less than 2.5, which is considered the normal range, 75% of protein, beef was the protein essentially being studied here just for note, is hydrolyzed compared to only 25% of it being hydrolyzed when the pH is high, greater than 5. So why does the pH rise? Well, acid-suppressing drugs typically raise the intragastric pH to 5 or higher because how PPIs and these essentially acid-suppressing drugs work is they raise stomach acid. I'm sorry, they raise the pH level in the stomach. It's not necessarily what we want. Typically, it's not what we want. And so why do we care about this, right? There's a lot of reasons. The main one being your ability to absorb nutrients. It's not just about what you eat. It is about what you absorb. There are so many people, and we see this constantly with clients coming in, that eat very quote-unquote healthy diets, except they're fatigued. They're dealing with bloating. They're dealing with tons of stress. They're dealing with other symptoms, hypothyroidism, autoimmunity, stuff like this, because their body is not absorbing the nutrients from their food. And they're probably having worse reactions than just not absorbing. They're probably dealing with symptoms like bloating, diarrhea, constipation, whatever it might be. Another reason is that one of the chief roles of stomach acid is to inhibit bacterial overgrowth. Your body was designed perfectly. It was designed perfectly, exactly how it was supposed to function. Unfortunately, our food today, the stress today, aging can all decrease stomach acid. And so When we do not have that stomach acid, which should kill off parasites, bacteria that's in food, things that haven't been cooked well enough and then have things that could be harmful to the body, your stomach is designed to kill those things. That's why the acidity level is so high. When we lose stomach acid, when we deteriorate this acidity level, you are no longer killing things off effectively. And in turn, those things are getting to other parts of the digestive system. So at a pH of three or less, which we talked about, that's a normal pH level for the stomach. That's ideal. Most bacteria cannot survive for more than 15 minutes. But when stomach acid is insufficient and the pH of the stomach rises above five, bacteria now begin to thrive. And the drugs disrupt the natural GI environment. Although widely believed to be well tolerated and safe, acid blocking drugs by their very nature induce profound changes in the intestinal and in the internal environment of the stomach and the intestines. It's, it's just like, I am at this gasp of what we are doing with our medicine today. Mm -hmm. I really don't understand sometimes. Well, and as we're going to get into in, you know, the next episode, the research has been here since the 1800s, the pharmaceutical companies, they are very well aware. Most doctors are very well aware. I will say, I don't think that all of them are because I think it's all based upon what they were taught in school and what, you know, uh, they study on their own. And, you know, when we look at some of the things that we're going to talk through, (laughs) 
they know the information, but yeah, that information doesn't produce profits. And so that's what, you know, really gets grinds our gears, I guess it you could say. Grinds our gears. Grinds guys. our gears uh, because decades of research has demonstrated that chronically low levels of stomach acid, again, not even necessarily caused by drugs, just as we age, your stomach acid levels naturally decline. Um, and so chronically low levels of stomach acid can be harmful in the long run. So as Becca, ta- Becca talked about, it's malabsorption, uh, maldigestion, uh, malnutrition, essentially, right? Which can put us, you know, at risk for a wide range of serious ailments. I've been sharing this book and we're going to reference these doctors throughout, um, you know, some of these podcast episodes, but they share a lot about uh, various stories of patients that have come in and all of the things that they were struggling with from memory loss to feeling uh, very low mood and kind of depressed, even to the the book opens with the story of the gray man. He's very pale. He looked very gray. He had no color to him. All of these things were tied back to malnutrition, malabsorption of nutrients. A lot of anemias, B12 anemia, iron anemia, all of these things, you know, get tied back to the fact that the root cause is lack of stomach acid or the amount, uh, you know, that we need. And so here's the the question that I would just have you kind of consider as we go throughout this, if what people believe today is true regarding heartburn and acid reflux being too much stomach acid, remember that stomach acid declines as we age, we would have a lot of teenagers on acid reducers walking around with a lot of heartburn, acid reflux, right? Not those in their 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, you know, and beyond. So the research tells us that for nine and 10 people, the reflex and the things that they are experiencing is due to too little stomach acid. Okay, so they need support. One in 1,000 is what they have found when they test stomach acid levels with certain tests appropriately actually have too much. And you would know that because, I mean, this is like really detrimental. That stomach is, or that stomach acid that is, um, you know, coming up is very detrimental to the esophagus. Your esophagus does not have the same lining that your stomach does. And so here's where people are experiencing, you know, a lot of issues and most of the time having, you know, surgery or yes, then they need to be on PPIs. Um, And so- Again, let's let's understand that heartburn and, and GERD are no joke. Um, and it's really sad how many people experience these things. According to the National Institute of Diabetes and Kidney Digestive Diseases, 60 million people experience heartburn at least once a month. 25 million experience symptoms daily. Um, and GERD, which is a more serious form of acid reflux, is the most common digestive disorder in the United States. Studies show that 10 to 20% of individuals experience symptoms at least once a week, and the prevalence of GERD is increasing steadily. But just stay tuned because we have so much to share with you on the root cause. You guys, we got to wake up. Like, it's just... I kind of sometimes understand some where Andy Priscilla like gets frustrated talking about the things because I'm like I feel like and again I will be honest I probably just woke up to this like five six years ago and it's just been this deep dive after deep dive after deep dive and you're like you can never look at things the same you know mm-hmm. you can never look at things the same you can never look at symptoms and how people are reacting things the same so anyways let's talk about the drugs drugs for acid reflux and GERD are cash cows guys for the pharmaceutical companies more than 60 million prescriptions of GERD were filed in 2004 Americans spent 13 billion billion on acid stopping medications in 2006 Nexium which is the most popular brought in 5.1 billion alone making it the second highest selling drug behind Lipitor 
as sobering as these statistics are, it is likely that the prevalence of GERD is underestimated because of the availability of antacids over the counter. This permits patients to self-medicate without reporting their conditions to a doctor. And I do want to make a note because I actually ran into this with a client and I in turn dove into the research hole of it. Con- constantly slash chronically taking things like Tums and acid reflux over-the-counter medications damage the liver. And for some people that if you're taking them so consistently, it can do very big damage to the liver in terms of like not some people irreversible damage. Um, it can sometimes drive non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. Like we need to be careful because things are over the counter does not mean that they are safe to be taken daily and chronically. I'm sorry, but the FDA is not super regulated with things. Um, I will say that it is probably more regulated like the wild, wild west of like, you know, stem cells and all of that, but it is not as regulated as it should be. And so just keep that in mind, but do not self-medicate. Okay. Up until fairly recently, heartburn wasn't taken too seriously. It's primarily been the butt of bad jokes about, you know, grandma's cooking, the tomato sauce, drank too much soda, wine, whatever. But we now know that the heartburn and GERD can have serious and even life-threatening complications, including scarring, constriction, ulceration, and ultimately cancer of the esophagus. Yeah. So let's talk about like Again, the problems with the conventional uh, theories. So if you ask anybody on the street, they're going to think, because this is what I used to think, I think this is what Becca used to think, you know, long ago before we did the, edu- uh, you know, all of our educational courses and certifications and training and really dove into the research that if somebody has heartburn or acid reflux, that's what you should do is you should suppress it, right? Because it's too much stomach acid. Um, and that's, again, what some of the pharmaceutical ads uh, seem to suggest uh, in the book that I'm reading, they talk about how the truth is there, but it's very, very suppressed in the marketing and the advertising. And so, you know, I'm sure that you've seen some of these pictures, uh, you know, on ads that look at, um, you know, acid suppressing drugs and TV and magazines and all of these things, you know, with the, uh, what is it at, at the top of, uh, like your chest, you know, just like the burning sensation. And so, yep. you know, here's the, the PPI that you should take and whatever, but The incidence of heartburn and GERD increases with age, while stomach acid levels generally decline with age. Here's where it's, you know, we've got it reversed. And so studies have shown time and time again that stomach acid secretion declines as we age. And when we are telling people that their heartburn and their acid reflux is too much and they're suppressing even further, they get to a place where they basically have no stomach acid levels at all. Like they're just completely wiped out. Um, And so what the research has shown um, is in one study, at least they found that over 30% of men and women past the age of 60 suffer from atrophic gastritis, a condition marked by little to no acid secretion. Another study found that 40% of women over the age of 80 produce no stomach acid at all. Think about what those individuals also struggle with. A lot of health conditions, malnutrients, right? They're not uh, absorbing things that they are consuming. And so just as studies show acid secretion declines with age, it's very well established in the scientific literature that the risk of GERD increases with age. So if heartburn were caused by too much stomach acid, as I mentioned before, why are we not having a bunch of teenagers popping up with, you know, heartburn and taking Rolaids or Tums or whatever it is instead of the older folks. Mm-hmm. So in fact, according to Jonathan Wright, which is a doctor of the Tahoma Clinic in Washington State, 
When stomach acid was measured in people suffering from heartburn and GERD, it is almost always low, not high. So he wrote the book, Why Stomach Acid is Good for You. And he explains in the book, when we carefully test people over the age of 40 who are having heartburn, indigestion, and gas, over 90% of the time, they find inadequate acid production by the stomach. So he has done these these tests for 25 years. He found very few people with excess stomach acid. Excess stomach acid is only found in a rare few conditions like Zollinger-Ellison syndrome, and GERD is hardly ever associated with too much stomach acid. So what's more, Wright and other clinicians have found that giving hydrochloric and acid supplements to patients with heartburn and GERD often cures their problem. In 24 years of nutritionally oriented practice, he's worked with thousands of individuals who have found the case of their heartburn and indigestion to be low stomach acidity. In nearly all of these people, symptoms have been relieved and digestion improved when they've taken supplemental hydrochloric acid and pepsin capsules. Pepsin is a digestive enzyme which helps break down protein. So his own clinical experience confirms this too. So far, every patient he's had with heartburn or GERN has responded well to HCL supplementation, and you'd expect the opposite to be true if it was caused by too much stomach acid. Yeah. And I just want to expand here quickly. The book, the, the book that I'm reading, and this is written by Dr. Wright, and he talks a lot uh, about B12. And we shared this on the previous podcast, you know, when we're looking at labs and we're seeing hypochlorgia, you know, popping up or a lot of nutritional deficiencies, we often see that hand in hand with low B12 or uh, iron deficiency anemias. And so that is one thing that he uses is uh, injectable B12 while he's doing uh, HCL with pepsin. Um, the ones that we use uh, in our practice, I'm not going to give away the name because again, we're not prescribing these for people, but they do have various B vitamins in them. So B6 mm-hmm. and and so forth um, because you do need that. And you also need zinc. Zinc is very important. It's, you know, kind of a, a web here where you need zinc to create stomach acid, you need stomach acid to absorb zinc and so forth. So there's other things that you would need to do, obviously lifestyle wise with your nutrition as well. Um, you know, if you really want to cure this, but one of the things that he has shown time and time again throughout the book, and I, I can't stop you know, talking about it, like everybody should read it, uh, is that there are so many other symptoms unrelated to heartburn and acid reflux or digestive issues that still come back to low stomach acid because of the malabsorption of nutrients that we are not basically getting, even if we are ingesting a good diet. And so, you know, this can be depression. It can be anxiety. He talks about, you know, stomach acid being a cure for these things. He talks about thyroid conditions, all kinds of things. Um, And so we have to remember too, that a symptom is not a cause. We talk a lot about this uh, with some of our clients, just because we are symptomatic in certain things doesn't mean that that is, you know, a cause. So, if we look at GERD, because that's what you know the conversation is today, if that is not enough stomach acid, maybe it's you know too much, they're initially doubtful. If that's true, the clients that you know he is talking to in the practice, they say, like, why do my antacid drugs provide relief? And I think it's a really great question because we know that acid suppressing drugs do provide relief. And so it's not a denial that the symptoms of heartburn and GERD uh, you know, basically get suppressed when we are taking these things. Um, but it's important to understand that any amount of acid in the esophagus is going to cause problems. Okay. And so this is because again, that the lining of the esophagus is very delicate. It is not protected against acid like the stomach lining is. And so if you have any amount of acid that's coming up into your esophagus or getting into other places and you experience these symptoms, 
we have to look at uh, the cause being that lower esophageal sphincter opening when it shouldn't be. And so let's talk about the consequences of ignoring uh, the cause, because this is where it really gets juicy for the pharmaceutical industry. Uh, so Americans, like we talked about, spend more than $13 billion on acid-stopping drugs each year. This expense might be justified if antacid drugs were actually curing Harper and GERD, but just the opposite is true. Not only do these drugs fail to treat GERD, they will make the underlying condition not enough stomach acid like we've been talking about, actually worse. This virtually necessitates the lifelong use of these medications for anyone who takes them. This is why if you have ever tried to go off of PPIs, you have horrible acid reflux on the other side of it to where you basically are forced to go back on them. So nifty sales strategy, right, for the drug companies, it's better to pill swallow, yes, pun intended, for those suffering from heartburn and GERD. Curing a disease means eliminating its cause. When a disease is cured, the symptoms don't return once the treatment is removed. This, of course, is not the case with drugs for heartburn and GERD. As soon as the patient stops taking them, the symptoms return. And often, like I said, they are worse than they were before starting the drug. Unfortunately, pharmaceutical companies aren't necessarily interested in cures because then they would not be profitable. It's much more lucrative to sell drugs that people have to take for the rest of their lives than it is to promote dietary or lifestyle changes that would cure the problem. Therefore, although the drug companies are well aware that GERD is not caused by too much stomach acid and that low stomach acid causes serious health problems and complications, they continue to sell billions of dollars worth of antacids to an unsuspecting public. Even worse, these powerful drugs are now available over the counter with no warnings about the dangers that they present. You guys, we have to understand... If you think this sounds strangely like the situation with the number one selling drug, Lipitor, you're correct. Lipitor arbitrarily lowers cholesterol across the board, even though evidence clearly indicates that high LDL cholesterol is not the cause of heart disease. What's more, low cholesterol is associated with a greater risk of death in the elder po elderly population. Something is definitely wrong with our healthcare system when number one and number two most sold medications are actually contributing to the conditions they're supposed to treat. But I guess if you're looking at it from a standpoint of the drug companies who are in a business to make a profit, it is the perfect business model, which infuriates me. But unfortunately, there are lots of evil people in this world. Yes. So before we wrap this up and we you know, come back for part two, I wanted to talk about if you've been prescribed a PPI by your doctor because you've gone in with heartburn or acid reflux, you need to make sure that you have been tested for H. pylori. And so um, I shared this on my stories over the weekend, uh, just regarding why H. pylori and Prilosec don't mix. And the quote that I shared is, you know, from the book, but they talk about that, you know, current acid suppressing therapies may be advancing the cancer clock by converting relatively benign gastric inflammation into more destructive premalignant processes. Okay. And this was a Stanford MD researcher. Uh, and so the fact remains that but though many people with the symptoms of acid indigestion have H. pylori infections, even though they do not have ulcers, the practice of giving acid suppressors to people with H. pylori infection not only provides no therapeutic benefit because Prilosec doesn't kill or inhibit the bacteria, it can actually make things much worse. Again, so advancing the cancer clock here. So 
H. pylori, and we can do a whole podcast on this another day. Uh, it's very common. 50 to 75% of the uh, U.S. population has it. It's active in some, dormant in others. Um, and so it is more common amongst children. This is just research that I've recently been doing. If you are going to take a PPI, you need to make sure that you do not have H. pylori because H. pylori lives in the presence of low stomach acid. So if then you're being prescribed a stomach acid reducer and you already have low stomach acid, this is where things get really dangerous. Uh, because again, as Becca was sharing earlier, you know, one of the roles of stomach acid is to protect us from bacteria. So H. pylori pops up because stomach acid is low, but also other pathogens, parasites, bacteria, all kinds of things survive in a low acidic uh, environment. And so, you know, this is something that downstream you must look at, like if we're talking about, you know, SIBO or IBS or other digestive issues, these things can cascade and they get worse because we are treating the symptoms. We're not treating the cause and take caring, you know, taking care of the cause. And, you know, as we talk about bacteria, bacteria won't survive for more than 15 minutes when stomach acid levels are adequate. But if they're insufficient, and again, it, it goes above five, bacteria thrive, as Becca said before. And so I just want to drive that point home because I have so many people that reached out to me after that post saying, I was you know, prescribed a PPI. I don't really want to be taking it. And my question was, were you tested for H. pylori? And of course, the answer is no. Um, very commonly, just what we're seeing in our practice and um, Coach Courtney, one of our practitioners, you know, she was even sharing a personal experience of somebody in her family that has been tested for H. pylori several times throughout the years. And it wasn't caught on the traditional uh, breath test. But when we ran a stool test and we were able to see it on the GI map, it was very, very prevalent. And so if you are symptomatic, H. pylori is not present, but you're not doing anything further to you know get to the root cause of, is it really present? Is this an issue of H. pylori? We would encourage you to do so because the, the long-term effects of taking acid suppressors, and we'll talk about this in the next episode, are detrimental. And we don't want anybody out there walking themselves into an ulcer or stomach cancer because they just didn't know any better. And so that's why we want to bring this to light. I will link out uh, the Amazon link for this book, Why Stomach Acid is Good for You. I think everybody should read it, know it. Um, you know, I've been sharing even more just about, you know, asthma and children and some of the things that, you know, they're finding in research regarding ear, even ear infections. That's the part that I've just gotten to in the book is like all these chronic infections and ear infections. And I keep thinking about my son. If you guys, you know, know Marcus has had a lot of things pop up. We had four double ear infections back to back. He's had a lot of sinus things. They don't know if it's allergies. They don't know if it's asthma. We have all these different medications and my mind just keeps coming back to Maybe it is low stomach acid for him. Maybe it is, you know, that he has H. pylori. So we're going to get some testing done for him too, because he's three. Imagine if this continues on, you know, and it doesn't resolve itself as stomach acid levels don't come back up. There's a lot that we could be doing, you know, for our kids too. So as always, the more, you know, the better you can do. If you're on a PPI, if you are on, you know, a prescription, what we would leave you with is that you need to speak with your provider. Do not just start taking yourself off of these things. Nope. You need to speak with your provider. Maybe you want to get some testing done and, you know, dig a little bit further. If it's not with FitMom, there's other practitioners out there that run uh, the tests that we do as well, but do not go off of a prescription medication without a plan in place to bring stomach acid levels to where they need to be so that you can resolve your symptoms in a safe way. Mm -hmm. Stay tuned. We'll be back for part two on Wednesday. 
Thank you for listening to The Food Code. If this episode resonated with you, please share, rate, and review as this helps us reach others around the world. With that, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Love you guys.